You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 131. My name is Marvin Yue and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have formerly self-proclaimed professional Asian American, Jess Jew. Hello hey, Jess. Marvin. What's up? What's up? It's December. That's what's up. That's weird, right? <laughs> I feel like the last two months have been very long. But also incredibly, maybe it's because I'm working again, but like, I'm just like, time feels weird. It is. It does feel weird, especially, yeah, especially since it's like our first quote unquote back to normal year. It's also like, it's also like nothing happened, nothing productive happens from like mid November to the end like to the first maybe the second week of january so why does anyone why why does corporate america and capitalism make us pretend that things are still happening um because we they need us to make money so we can buy all their stuff because let me tell but you everyone's broke we're in a recession and yet and yet i i dropped a lot of money this past weekend it was bad also joining us professional culture editor hong win Hey, how did how how did you do this weekend? Did did you fall prey to capitalism like I did, or or were you are you okay? Well, I'm very okay because I think being part of a buy nothing group makes you aware, but it doesn't necessarily mean I don't buy anything. I just don't buy anything on Friday. Um, Well, no, I I tried not to buy anything this weekend either, but still, I have gifts to buy for my brothers so i just like moved it a few days so i'm gonna buy those soon um but yeah i i try at least it made me think about like not buying anything for myself and then making me feel guilty about all the stuff (laughs) i haven't cleared out yet so see my um, problem is i have a friend who decided to become a seasonal worker at crate and barrel and i just so happened (laughs) to really need to furnish you know since i just got married um and so um yeah. Jess, how was your Black Friday? Um, I did a lot of... Well, it was good and bad because I did save a lot of money on wedding things. Mm. So I spent money, but like... I like, you know, like dresses and stuff. I like got like, you know, a few hundred dollars off. So, but other than that, I was like trying to be really good. I'm like, no, you have other things to spend your money on. Do not let them lure you. Also, I know I'm not the only one who feels this way because TikTok... I get a lot of TikTok videos. I'm like, <laughs> these are not real sales. 15% is not mm. a real sale. Mm. Like, you get that on like, I can wait till like 4th of July for a 15%. You're supposed to give me like 75% off for Black Friday. What the hell is happening, America? I know, right? It, it feels like Black Friday. It just, it ain't what it used to be. Back it in ain't my what it day. used to be. <laughs> Back in my day, we had. You know when they used to trample people in the morning to get the the TV. <laughs> yeah, when people at the big used box to store. die. <laughs> Bring that it's back. like um, and you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, do you guys remember when Restaurant Week was good? When they actually gave oh, us good stuff on Restaurant Week? Yeah, I don't bother anymore. <laughs> oh, LA, like LA Restaurant Week, it was a really good deal. And now it's like, here's the same menu, but we're going to make you order a bunch of things you don't want. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I never wanted the dessert. So I'm just like, you better give me something worthwhile for lunch. 
Or like when they first started doing restaurant weeks and they were actually giving us like the premium items, right? Like the ones that Mm. you actually like want to order as opposed to now it's like here is like the most basic thing on our menu, you peasant, because you wanted to come and get a $30 meal. Yep. I used (laughs) to get excited for it. I know, I know. Well, we are now at the end of November, beginning of December, which means it's time once again for our monthly Asian American Entertainment News Roundup. Do we want this? But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through this week. Speaking of restaurants and restaurant weeks, (laughs) what's popping? Look at that segue. So, so subtle. Um, So I watched the new film, dark comedy horror film, The Menu. Uh, it is directed by Mark Mylod, who is a director on Succession, and there are many commonalities between the two. So just to give you a, a rough idea, it is about a um, really hot chef who runs a special type of pop-up restaurant called Hawthorne. Um, you have to get on a ferry and on this ferry, then you get to an island where you cannot leave. And then you go behind one of those big, like swinging doors in order to get to it. And the menu is supposedly specialized to the actual guests. Now um, it is an amazing ensemble cast. Uh, the chef Julian Slowick is played by Ray Fiennes. Um, it also has Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, Hong Chow, uh, Jenna McTeer, John Leguizamo, and a bunch of other people. <laughs> like, there's still other people I'm not naming, but those are some of the biggest ones. And um, and I have to say that even though, arguably, Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy are probably the leads, and they're very good, I like both of them, um, Nicholas Holt is very funny as the boyfriend who is the foodie who invites um, Anya Taylor-Joy's character Margot to this whatever restaurant. Um, I have to say who steals the the seeds a lot is Hong Chow. <laughs> so, As she does, though, to be honest. Yeah, right? but she is particularly good in this because um, very much like Succession, it is it plays with the idea of class, privilege, and that sort of like veneer of what people call polite society and civility (laughs) and her she is so dedicated as basically sort of like the right hand person of the chef the chef is ridiculously over the top um he announces every course with a big clap of his hands and then you know makes everyone pay attention to him each course what i love about it is when he introduces it then it goes to like a chef's table sort of like uh, photography where you see the <laughs> the the dish on its own like sort of like rotating and then the words next to um on the screen are telling you what the course is because actually David Gelb of Chef's Table actually did do those scenes. Oh um, how fun. So yeah so they were very smart in the way they wanted to present everything because that is also part of the um what they're poking fun at. So they're poking fun at foodies. So Nicholas Holt's character is amazing because it's not just that he takes pictures of his food, but the way he talks about it and sort of instructs his date on it is just ridiculous. Uh, He gets so excited. But the thing is, it goes a lot deeper than just that. Um, I I hesitate to talk about it too much because um, I think, you know, as I said, it is a dark comedy horror 
thriller. Um, and yet, uh, so there is some danger involved. And I don't want to give any way any of the actual real surprises, but um, I watched it with uh, our good friend from THR, Angie Han, and we were laughing from the beginning. But what I what we noticed was not a lot of people were, were laughing with us at the start. It's only when they started realizing, oh, wait, this is supposed to be dark and funny that like everyone started getting into it. But I just found it so entertaining throughout and just like. I don't know. You, I feel like you have to watch it with someone that you can either hit or, you know, like make a comment to or look at or something and react with, you know, um, because otherwise you're just going to be doing that for yourself. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, this is a film that uh, I've been looking forward to watching ever since the previews. Uh, and mm-hmm. I kind of want to see it with my wife because we're both we both love restaurants. So I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll find lots of things to both laugh and cringe about. Um, but it is interesting because of the way this film was marketed right all the trailers it's hard to tell what genre it is because it is such like a a a mashup right of different genres and once you said that it was by the director of succession like it kind of fell into place because succession is also another show that like doesn't know it's a comedy right yeah the the characters don't know they're in a comedy Right. Just like how Jeremy Strong, he's like, oh, I play it 100 percent seriously. But what we as the audience get is the dark comedy of it all. Yeah. Uh, like, it, you know, that was it uh, L to the G. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that sounds uh, I mean, it's the same reason why I, like, I haven't started watching the new White Lotus yet, but I feel like it has like similar like similar vibes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so, I, I, yeah. I find it funnier than White Lotus. Um. Uh, I think it's a very tight film. I think the performances is really just what sets it off. Although White Lotus, you have to always give it to Jennifer Coolidge, right? Like <laughs> she's what makes it. So I, I, I feel like when you're watching it, you're going to have like, well, this is my favorite person. Well, this person is ridiculous, you know, and, and they're all enjoyable in their own ways. Uh, so ridiculously well cast and performed and it looks amazing. I think that's what also sells it. If they if they didn't make those beautiful food scenes as gorgeous as they were, it wouldn't have sold it as well. Uh, so yeah, I highly recommend it. I, I think it's a lot of fun, especially even though it makes those commentaries, like sort of like how Parasite did, it is still very enjoyable. Uh, I think it's a good holiday film for that reason, oddly so enough. I thought this movie was just about food. And then I saw it under the like thrills and chills banner. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's not and then my fiance was like oh maybe i'll just go watch that film when you're like busy because you're like busy all week and i'm like I'm like you know it's like a like thriller i'm like you know yeah. it's like not a feel-good movie right he's like what i'm like yeah it's like about i think people die <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's one of those where it's like again i don't want to like ruin it for people but it, I think you're right in at least making sure that your fiance understands what he's getting into without being blindsided. <laughs> so. Yeah, Raymond, if you're listening to this, just um, make sure you um, ice down that arm afterwards because Jess will be punching it all throughout well, the time. Yeah. Well, yes. I also know that he just like doesn't like, you know, like stressful films. Like he doesn't like horror films. So this when is he was stressful. like, yeah, I'm going to watch the menu. I'm like, I'm like, babe, do you know what it's about? <laughs> yeah. He He's going to find it too stressful. It's very stressful for him. I love um, it. But yes, you definitely, if you if you do end up watching it, maybe we can even do it on the episode. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a future good pop. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
All right. Speaking of ensemble films, Jess, yes. what's <laughs> popping with you? I watched another movie, big, big release, I guess, in the theaters, which was The mm-hmm. Glass Onion, which had the Knives Out sequel, which had a limited release in theaters. I don't know if it was everywhere, but definitely LA, you know, movie town. And I had so much fun. It follows the another case of, uh, you know, Detective Benoit Blanc, which is played by Daniel Craig. And this time it's set on an island in Greece and features a ensemble cast that includes Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Lamar, um, Leslie, sorry, Leslie Odom. Um, not, not, not Lamar. It's <laughs> a very different Odom. Jessica Henwick, Catherine Hahn, Dave Bautista, who was very good. Madeline Klein, Janelle Monet, um, and amazing number of cameos like mm. amazing like i think it just speaks so highly of ryan johnson i've you know daniel craig has gone on interviews and be like this is the, the most fun he's ever had he wants to keep working with, with ryan johnson until he dies <laughs> which is interesting um, right because that's the opposite of how he feels about james bond i mean james bond is also just like a hard movie to film where you're getting beat up like there's so much uh, stunt work like it's all very like also, death yeah. and doom also, James Bond himself, or at least this version of James Bond, is very traumatically, you know, like <laughs> informed, yeah, shall we yeah, say? Yeah, he's a dark character, whereas Knives Out, you know, Benoit Blanc is not that dark. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think because the first movie was just so popular and fun, like everyone was down to cameo. Um, just fun fact: this is the last on-screen performance of both Stephen Sondheim and. Angela Lansbury. Bizarre. The way they are utilized is hilarious. Um, there's just a lot of pop culture references. It's interesting. He also sets it in 2020 during the pandemic. And this one is really skewering like influencer culture and capitalism. And I mean, I guess the other Knives Out movie did too, but uh and and billionaire and like found up startup culture. Mm. Which I'm sh- I know he wrote this before the whole Twitter fiasco, but it is very much like a version of the Twitter fiasco. And this one, this movie is playing off the trope of like the lock house island. Oh, that's fun. Thing. I love that. So, um, so it's really fun. Question. I think it's funnier than the sec- the first movie. All right. So question. Should yes. I, if I feel safe, see it in theaters or do I just wait for it on Netflix, which is coming soon this month? I don't think you like have to see it in theaters because technically it's not something it's not Avatar the world the way of water (laughs) but you know it is fun to see it in the theater on a big screen it's just very um, it's very you know they're on Greece and and again like it's a lot I I actually think it's a heightened it's heightened Mm -hmm. from the first Knives Out which good it needed it I think yeah it's a lot more Action! I think the first Knives Out was uh, so it's like this weird thing. Like I think I enjoyed this one more, but I do think the first Knives Out is a better constructed mystery. But this, it's still fun, and you could tell everyone's just kind of having fun. The costume design, the set design, fantastic. Um, again, Edward Norton as a Elon Musk esque billionaire, mm. fantastic. Uh, Jeremy Renner makes a really fun, somewhat cameo. Um, but yeah, you know, watch it in theaters if you want. If you if you have the attention span, you can watch it at home. 
If not, go watch in theaters. Okay. Yeah. Another film I'm excited to watch. I'm also in the same boat as he's high. Like, I hope I can last until it comes out to streaming without getting spoiled. And I think people have been pretty yeah. good at not posting like asshole spoilers on, on the internet. Yeah. I mean, in general, I'm, I can be pretty good about avoiding spoilers if I try really hard, but nature of my job, sometimes I end up having to just spoil myself <laughs> in, or, in order to be informed about what's out there, but also what stories I need to assign. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll make myself go out and see this. <laughs> yeah. All right, my turn. So um, I'm still catching up on my video games. So I'm taking a break from my medieval murder mystery um, game Pentamon that I talked about last week to play another indie game called Sable um, that just released on PS5. It's a game that released a year ago on Xbox and PC as an Xbox console exclusive. And the way that these exclusivity deals work is games are released on one platform for a certain amount of time, usually a year or two, um, before they're allowed to be released onto the stores of other platforms. And so this is a game that I've been looking forward to playing for a while, but I just didn't have anything to play it on until recently. Sable is an open world exploration game. And I guess the best way to describe it is um, imagine Breath of the Wild, mm. um, the mm-hmm. Zelda game on the Nintendo Switch, uh, but without the combat. <laughs> so in the game, you play Sable, a girl who lives in a desert in a post-apocalyptic there world. There we go. I was waiting <laughs> for that. Post-apocalyptic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know if it's actually post-apocalyptic, but um, you do live in a a desert that is seems to be built upon a previous technologically advanced civilization. So uh, so the game follows your character, Sable, as she sets off on a coming-of-age journey um, across the desert. So it's something that everyone in this world has to do when they come of age, is travel the desert in search of their destiny. Mm. And you do this by um, riding across the desert in your hover bike, um, finding villages and camps across the desert and doing tasks for certain people. Um, These include things like um, collecting resources, um, solving mysteries, um, building things. And in return, you receive badges corresponding to certain professions. And the goal is to collect three of these badges to take to a mask maker to create a mask for you that will pretty much determine um, your profession going forward. So kind of like a post-apocalyptic version of a Korean doll. Um, and, you know, it's a pretty cozy game, um, pretty low stakes. You're you're not fighting or anything. You're just kind of riding around the desert, jumping around, climbing mountains, and just you know, chilling. And the best part is, actually, um, the music of the game is by Michelle Zahner, mm. a.k.a. Um, Japanese Oh, wow, Breakfast. super cozy. Um, so, yeah, so it's, you know... <laughs> Um, overall it's a very minimalist game the music is pretty sparse but when it comes in it really like it's a vibe so um, yeah the only issue that I found with the game is the graphics do get a little choppy when you get into more graphically intensive areas especially the bigger towns and um, if you do get motion sick um, the drop in frames can kind of make you a little queasy Um, I did find myself having to take a little break when I got to those areas but overall uh, if you're looking for a game um, that can scratch that Breath of the Wild itch um, or just a game to chill to. Um, Sable is pretty good. And yeah, that's what's popping for. I guess, do we want to talk about GBBO holiday? Did any of you guys watch the holiday episodes? I did watch the holiday episode. We did have a Go Asian moment in that. Wait, 
Well, okay. F- before you get to the Go Asian moment, who is the guest, uh, whatever cast this time? Because uh, I know it's a sin. Oh, that's all right. I was hoping it'd be Heartstopper. <laughs> well, I had no idea who those people were. But... They were anyway. fun. They were fun. <laughs> okay, I'm sure they were fun. Yes, I just, I just want. My twinks. <laughs> oh, so Han, you haven't watched them yet. I have not watched them yet, but you can still talk about it. Like I'll, I'll check. I mean, I'll put no. it on in the back. I mean, it's not spoil anything. But now you know there's a go Asian moment. It's fine. You can <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I was just gonna call out that um the Asian one, which is uh, Kim Joy. Oh, is she in in there? I didn't realize she's in the. So they always do a Christmas one and a New Year's one. So mm-hmm. Kim Joy came back to do the New Year's uh, competition. Along with James, the Hawaiian shirt blood bank driver, Hermine, the patisserie queen, and Rowan, the flamboyant elderly grandpa uh, gentleman who like was just a total vibe. Um, even though he could like never get anything done on time and got kicked out on like the second episode. Yeah, but man, what a vibe. We need more personality castings like that. Come on, y'all. <laughs> It was funny, though, because it was like the two dudes were people who got kicked out early and the two girls were like, like deep all run the way favorites. up until like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was kind ain't of a that, lopsided how it always is. Isn't that just the microcosm of like life? I don't know. But yeah, no, it was pretty fun. Kim yeah. Joy did Kim Joy stuff. She made cute things that were delicious and she won. So. OK, that's fun. I'll, I'll check that out. <laughs> all right. I'll check, check out that it's a sin people, too. That was a fun one. It wasn't as nailed it as. Yeah, I, honestly, episodes. I just like to see them have fun. Just like the, when the Dairy Girls came on, it's just like you just yeah. watch them have fun. It was a lot less chaotic than the Dairy Girls. <laughs> well, version, there's a lot of Dairy there, Girls. There's fun. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> the Dairy Girls was more fun because they just had so there's just so much chaos. Yes, um, in their energy, which I I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. You know, very similar to their show. Um, it's a sin is like a very depressing show. Yes, it's it's, it's kind like of a, a weird... very depressing show. So, uh, but they're like fun, you know. So, it's, but it's kind of weird to see them like not in this like depressing ass context. Yeah, it's Marvin, a weird you, match yeah. for the show. Marvin, if you don't know, it's uh, it's by Russell T Davies, who used to do Doctor Who, and it's about a group of gay men um during the HIV AIDS crisis in the UK, like in the eighties. And it's yeah, it's as sad as that sounds. Which is why they should have done Heartstopper. So anyway. I mean, no one can tell Paul Hollywood what to do. So he probably watched it or something. He and probably watched he, he probably spent a week spent a weekend at It's a Sin and decided to do yeah. an episode on it. All right. Well, that's what's oh. popping for this week. When we come back, we're going over the latest Asian American entertainment news for November 2022. Stick around. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. 
part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Hello, I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper. All right, and welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It is time for our November 2022 edition of Do We Want This? Our monthly Asian American Entertainment News Roundup, where we bring up some of the latest news from the world of Asian American entertainment and ask ourselves if we want this. Um, So let's get started. Um, Han, what's our first story? Um, So an RRR sequel is in the works from SS Rajamuli. Uh, and his screenwriter father is working on the story. So his father writes um, the scripts for all, all of the films. And so, oh my already, god, yeah. So he did it for the first RRR, and now he's working on the second. Uh, you know, I believe that RRR definitely had like history buff father energy to it. Yeah, but you know, my dad doesn't write epic, <laughs> like anti-colonial saga action films. He just has a blog about trains. <laughs> uh, I don't know this about your dad. But anyway, okay, getting back on track, not knowing that much else because there are no other details, but do we want this? Hell uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's an easy, that was a no-brainer. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like it was, what, it's the third highest grossing movie for India of all time. Um the only non-English language film to trend globally for 10 consecutive weeks on Netflix. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I am still very happy that uh, Marvin and I got to get out to the uh, Alamo Draft House because we needed to get food for this long-ass movie that had an intermission. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think there was a film where I had as much fun watching it as RRR. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good time and just visually just so cool to watch on a big screen. And and also this is where I have to say audience reaction was really fun to like be a part of. So um yeah, I'm I'm excited for this. When I saw this, I was like, holy crap, I don't know how long this movie's gonna take, but I will be there when it comes out. It's the sequel, so it's gotta be at least twice as long, right? Like a six hour two parter sure, like sure. two intermissions this time. I would love more historical action fan fictions. Let's yes. yes. Let's mash up more people, please. It would be nice, and this might be too much to ask for this type of film, but it would be nice to have some better written female characters, but yeah, I, I, you know what? That's my one request for the new movie. And you know what? Dad might have problems with that. So maybe he, he needs to get mom work. on board. Yeah. Yeah. So because other than that, I think it was, you know, obviously there's going to be some weird colonial things going on. Um, but once you've established your heroes, I don't know if they're going to go with the same heroes or what, but I'm I'm open. Whatever it is, I'm just there for the lunacy. As long <laughs> as we're still taking it to the British Empire, I'm yes. all for it. Yeah, yeah. As long as there's going to be blood splattered <laughs> on Union Jacks. <laughs> yes, so good. That's, I am maybe my favorite moment of that whole film, so, which is full of favorite moments. 
Anyway, so that was my news. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jess, what's your next story? All right. NBC is developing K-Town, that's in quotations, soap from WBTV, Denise Hahn and Michael Tolarile to co-write. Do we want this? Um, so I think I need to refresh. Which K-Town project? Is this a new one or is this one of the existing ones? This seems like a new one. Um, Denise Hahn is a co-EP on The Cleaning Lady. Mm. And Michael Nodderill is also... Uh, works on has also written or is also writing for the cleaning lady. Um, my concern is anytime you said something in a very specific enclave, they never pick people from there to write it, and then it's also just it's always just kind of wrong. <laughs> like I don't know where Denise Denise is a Korean American woman. Michael Nodarel is not, and he's a man, mm-hmm. uh, and not Asian from. My assumption. And I'm just like, are any, either of them from Los Angeles? Did either of them like... And, and I would be interested to know... I mean, we don't know too much about the script, but also, it would be interesting to know, like, what time period it's being set in. Like, are we talking about Cape Town now? Are we talking about Cape Town, like, a few decades ago? Um, It seems to be very much in that, you know, cleaning lady vein drama, murder, money, family drama. So it could be cool, but also, yeah. I mean, I'm going to say I want this for now because at this point, I just want one of these K Town projects to be made. Um, I think before it was what was the HBO one with the woman from um, Russian Doll? Oh, Gretchen Lee. Yeah, yeah. I know she had a deal with HBO for K Town. I think that was going to be a dramedy. Um, This one definitely is more of the family thriller. I mean. I'm reading the um, the rundown. It says, follows the intertwined fates of three influential families that run LA's Koreatown. But after a shocking money heist and murder, each family's legacy and the soul of Koreatown itself is thrown into chaos. In the neon light style of Michael Mann, K-Town is a family drama about power, shifting alliances, and cultural identity. Which hmm. sounds, if they pull it off, would be... I mean, sure. But also, <laughs> I've seen a lot of bad like just bad adaptations um of of again a a certain neighborhood Mm -hmm. um and i'm just like how it i don't know and the korean town to me is like i i would i would respect the show if there was just like a one-hour drama about like finding parking (laughs) like i think that's the most relatable but it's also like oh like are we gonna like get well, like, is, is it seedier than it needs to be? Like, are they gonna, like, is it, is it, at this point, is it good to show Asians behaving badly or like, we over it? Like, I, I think I mean, what I would love the show to be is a examination of like the LA politics surrounding Koreatown. Because if we're talking about powerful families, we're talking about institutional, financial, political power. And that's a story that we don't really get, um, you know. K-Town stories tend to be either about um, the working class there or like the party scene. But like something that has more like noir undertones. Yeah. I, think, I think I would like something like that. I think for me, I'm not excited about this for the information that we have right now. 
if there was any other information about like, let's say what the writer's room looked like or something, then maybe I could put more trust into what this could become. But like right now, kind of, it's fine. Like I, I do, I am interested in a K-Town story. Um, but yeah, I think this is a little bit too early for me to uh, know Give how. Give it the stamp of approval. Right. But I'm not going to say no to it yet. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll stay tuned to see if this K-Town show um, gains any traction. All right. Uh, my first story is um, we have casting news for um, HBO's The Sympathizer, um, which is the award-winning novel written by Viet Thanh Nguyen. Um, and for the most part, it looks like they actually casted Southeast Asians and Vietnamese to play the characters, which Whoa. is a, um, a nice surprise. <laughs> um, so, all, all I know is how have I not been cast in this yet? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Where's your, where's your win, win family solidarity? Yeah, they, I, it's like I feel like every week um, our friend Jess Vu like posts something about like, hey, anyone who fits this like can do a voiceover or whatever for for the sympathizer. And I was just like, how many roles are there for the sympathizer and how have I not gotten this yet? Um, there was even an <laughs> open casting call at the park near me. And unfortunately, I was not available at that time. I was like, how did you not tell me this ahead of time? Um, I still hold out hope that there's going to be a role for me. I believe in you. I think you could like be an extra the least. Oh, yeah. Do some like ADR in the background. Be like yes. a woman sweeping in the background, you know? I mean, a few of the scenes do, do take place in the pho restaurant. So you can just be lady eating pho in the background. Oh, my God. I was born for that. <laughs> <laughs> so the lead of the show, which is a, I think in the book is a nameless character only known as the captain, is played by Hua, Hua Xuandi or Huang Xuandi. Um, actually, don't know how to pronounce his name because I'll look him up at some point. But yeah, <laughs> who knows if they even got his name right? Honestly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. these press releases or, don't understand like the order of birth name and family name, right? Yeah. Or the transliteration could be like because if it was Vietnamese, then that last name, that second name, should probably be split because yeah. we don't have two syllable names. So sorry to uh, Hua, um, <laughs> but he is. Be- but I guess he is best known as one of the henchmen of Vicious in the Netflix live action uh, adaptation of Cowboy Bebop. Um, and hopefully this this show will give him a little bit more room to spread his um, his acting chops. Um, it's actually a pretty meaty role. He has to play a double slash triple agent, uh, mm-hmm. someone who can take on any role and who you never really know what his true feelings really are. Um, also cast are Fred Nguyen Kang, Antoine Lee, Ville, and Alan Trong um, as principal cast members. And on the more stunt casty side, I guess, um, we have Sandra Oh, Kyu Chin, and Nguyen Tao Ki Drin. I really feel like, I feel like you should have done this, <laughs> this uh, story, Khan. But, um, why do you think I just left it for you? No. <laughs> Uh, who are playing what I'm assuming is going to be the older generation characters, part of the general's wife and others. Um, Sandra Oh is interesting because she's playing a character named Sophia Mori, who is um, one of the lovers of the main character, who is mm. also Japanese-American. So um, I guess, hmm. you know, got the Vietnamese right. Iffy on the, well, they got to get Sandra Oh in there, right? So it's okay right. if she plays a Japanese character. It's fine. It's all the <laughs> East Asian colonizers. We good. We good. <laughs> 
Yeah. And 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 I think you're right when you're talking about the older generation, because then when you mention like uh Win Cow Ki Jwin, um Paris by Night is the credit they give her, <laughs> which yeah, but <absolutely. laughs> That's some old school, you know, uh, (laughs) stardom, stardom there. (laughs) So uh, that's but that's also legacy. Like that's some bona fides right there for the Vietnamese community. I mean, if they didn't this for this series, like what what are they doing? Right. So, yeah. uh, But anyways, do we want this? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, great, great start in the casting. Like, let's let's get some Vietnamese people playing Vietnamese characters. That's. You would think that's an obvious, but it is not. <laughs> it's shaping up to be an interesting project. I think they're pretty like the, the team behind it seems pretty interesting, and and the book itself is like I, I love the book itself. So hopefully they will continue down this path. Yeah, I'm really curious how how they go about it because the book gets kind of meta towards mm-hmm. the end, and the prose like gets a little nutsel too so um, it'll be interesting to see how like do we know if, if this is going to be like a multiple season thing or like one season thing like are they doing like a pachinko thing like which is expanding one novel into four seasons of stuff or i i hope they don't like this is i i'm actually a fan of one and done seasons if it's a tight you know story if the story has been told there's no yeah. reason to extend it but capitalism if it's a hit they're gonna give it <laughs> right season two but this is I like. Did you not learn from Big Little Lies, which you know was only a one book thing, and then they made it into a second season, and that was crap. So, uh, <laughs> I yeah, I'm I'm a fan of the one and done, and I and maybe it's also because I've been watching a lot of K dramas, which are one and done, um, and do it really well, and they figure out their arc. So this is a good book. We don't need to do another. Like, if you want to do another Vietnamese series, do another Vietnamese series. Um, I do feel that sometimes, like, let's say when you try to extend a story that it shouldn't be extended more than the book, like <clears throat> The Hobbit, um, <laughs> it becomes three a little ridiculous. Movies, three movies, <laughs> one everything, a novel. trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but maybe unless they figured out a way to cut it in half to make it two seasons, I don't know, but. I yeah, my vote is for one. I think that they've been doing a really good job for being very conscientious in how they've been casting it, which also bodes well for hopefully the rest of the touches, you know, um, behind the scenes. Um, I I know I was speaking facetiously about myself, but like I do have a cousin who's a singer, so I hope he gets <laughs> cast in it somehow. Just they need to go to Houston and start casting some people, um, which they probably already have done. Um, but yeah, so I, I need to just reach out to Jess Vu and be like, tell me what to, like, what can I try out for? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that also we keep getting these updates. So I, I hope this, like, it doesn't feel like this is going to fall through. <laughs> I mean, they already have big names attached to it. Like yeah. Park Chan Wook is, um, they already is sunk directing. too much money in this. It has they to already got out. Robert Downey Jr. to playing all the bad white guys. Yeah, exactly. Which is interesting. <laughs> I did not expect it to go men on this, but here we are. Yeah, so I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. All right. Han, what's our next story? All right. So I'm going to handle a, a couple um, award stories. One is one, uh, one I was kind of excited about having just finished watching The King's Affection right before we recorded this podcast. I'm happy to announce that it has 
been become the first K-drama to win an international Emmy. And this is in the category of best telenovela. <laughs> so, I so mean, yes, technically, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it let me tell you like what it went up against. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. It was up against Nos Tempos de Imperador from Brazil, uh, Two Lives from Spain, and You Are My Hero from China. Um, if you're not aware of The King's Affection yet, which I'm sure a lot of people are, um, Park Yubin, who plays the uh, extraordinary attorney Wu, this was the series that she starred in before that. It is per- period drama set during the Joseon dynasty. And basically, she is one of a set of boy and girl twins. Um, the boy is born the crown prince, but since twins are considered bad luck, especially for the royal family, and also sharing the womb with a girl, oh my God, you can't Disgusting. do that. Disgusting. So she was ordered to be uh, killed. Um, spoiler alert, she's not killed. She lives somewhere else separately. But when the prince is um, at one point uh, killed, she actually takes this place because, of course, for some reason, we need they a are cross dress. We need a cross dress, but they're identical because, you know, that's how boy girl twins that's, work. That's, that's exactly how fraternal boy girl twins work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking as, you know, also a twin, a, 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 twin, a boy girl twin, um, I have to say, you have to have suspension of disbelief here. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what I liked about the series was I, I had a lot of trepidations actually about getting into period dramas for K-dramas because um, all the sort of fears I had about regular K-dramas, you know, the sexism, et cetera, like that. I was like, well, if it's in a historical, you know, drama, then it's going to be even worse. And to a point it is in, because they talk about like killing this girl because she's a girl and also it's, monarchy and all that but what was nice about this series is they actually address all of that stuff as being unfair and um unjust so uh and and in the end because she is actually the star it is a very feminist series and so they they empower her to do a lot and um and there's no actual like there's a lot of killing of peasants i can't you know rely about that <laughs> oh, no. but they do call it out <laughs> so monarchy, and they, got a monarchy, that is a you know? step that's a and step. you and and they do also kill royals so you know equal opportunity slaughter i mean you kill the peasants you gotta pay the pay the price you know yeah and um full of i gotta say full of hot guys so uh <laughs> it was an very enjoyable um but anyway so that is one major win for some asian uh fair but the other one i think is pretty interesting is on the american side the gotham awards just happened and it actually let's just say that the critics in out of new york love some asians um <laughs> so for best feature everything everywhere all at once um also for outstanding supporting performance our guy uh kehui kwan won um also yeah. pachinko for breakthrough series long series um a breakthrough series short series is Mo, who is not Asian, but he's from Houston. So <laughs> um he 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 represents for me anyway. Um and then also ensemble tribute was Fire Island, you know, from our friend Joel Kim Booster. And um uh, besides all of those really great wins, this is also the beginning of award season, you know, which will last through January and February. So hopefully this bodes well for everything everywhere all at once. Um but uh, I did. I want to get sort of your feelings about this. 
Yeah, do, I mean, we, do we want, want this? Hell yes. I mean, it starts the conversation about everything everywhere all at once as a major contender in the Oscar race. This is not a movie that the Oscars would traditionally honor. But I also know they've been working hard to change their voter base. Hopefully it's younger. <laughs> um, who doesn't want to see Michelle Yeoh kill it on the red carpet? Come on, think about your ratings. Uh, and Ultimately, I think at the end of the day, the movie just deserves it. If it's, they can get there, you know, you know, the stuffy voters can, the academy <laughs> can kind of get their butts out of their own head, their heads out of their own butts. Yeah, I think it definitely. Like, I, I do want this as well. I think it's it's really cool to see. Um, like, you know, these are probably the ones some of the first awards of the award season, and to see every everything ever all at once do really well is really good i mean they've been picking up nominations like everywhere all at once right yeah i think Um, it was just undeniable about how good it was yeah unless unless you're a dummy like joyce carol oates you know (laughs) which i'm also a little concerned about just like the the academy like i mean it's the same kind of um it's the same kind of worry i had when um parasite was up for best picture which is will these Academy voters be willing to go all out for a film that is not your traditional best picture type of film, right? Like my dad watched everything ever all at once and he hated it. <laughs> he did not get, and what, I mean, this is a man who loves his action. Like he loves mm-hmm. like just the worst, like he loves anything. Like he watches all the new films that star mm-hmm. Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme. So, it was actually a little shocking to me that he did not like this film because the action scenes were top notch, but he mm-hmm. just could not wrap his head around this multiverse yeah. sci-fi. I, I do think that it's number one, you know, it hits extra hard when you're like the second gen. <laughs> I do think this is also a movie for people who are like chronically online, which we all are obviously, mm-hmm. but I think that's okay because I think the Academy base are movie people mm-hmm. who are pretty chronically online. Like, it, the Academy does not reflect, like, all moviegoers. It reflects a slice of the industry. And the industry, I think, is just inherently pretty, like, you know, like, culture and pop culture interested. Um, like, I didn't even bother taking my mom to see it because my mom has this thing where she wants movies to be quote-unquote real. <laughs> yes but, uh, yes i i get but, but like but her like sense of what is real is like very strange like mm-hmm. she wanted to watch the lion king the the 3d cgi version and she wants to watch megan the horror movie <laughs> Wait, what? because that is real to her but she's like i don't care about avatar it's not real and i'm like did she mean like animated versus I mean, but she I just, know like Megan's uh, pretty animated. If you yeah, want. yeah. But she like likes movies set in like the real world, like our world. Okay, but like that definition can stretch a bit. I, yeah, I I can see how maybe she wouldn't really get Rakakuni. Uh Yes, <laughs> though she has watched Ratatouille. I made her watch Ratatouille, and she thoroughly enjoyed it. That's set in the real world. Yeah, France is a real place. Realistic. Yes, France is apparently a France real exists. place. Exactly. Yes. 
I, I, but I, I do like talking about like the older generation because actually I haven't told my mom to watch this yet, but I am afraid to show it to her and be disappointed in her reaction because she doesn't follow things that are a bit more complex. Like she didn't really get Inception. So I just can't imagine like what this would do to her. Um, she does like Michelle Yeoh and she does probably will recognize Kei Hui Kwan <laughs> from, from Indiana Jones. Um, but I think this movie, besides, I think, um, it being sort of undeniably just good, um, I think there's enough, I, I hate to say, but like Hollywood, um, that, that they, uh, that they recognize, like the fact that he has this sort of Cinderella story or this comeback story from being a child star and being actually recognizable still as the, you know, the Goonies kid, the Indiana Jones kid. Um, and him being so good in this role, I think people just kind of fell in love with him. Like, I think we all did. So I ha- have high hopes for him to keep going forward. And of course, you know, the Daniels, I think, did a great job. And they're always very highly imaginative in all of their work. Um, this is probably their most mainstream thing. <laughs> uh, and and even that, like, had a lot to do with butts. Uh, their previous work also had to do with butts. But yeah, yeah. so I... I'm fingers crossed um, because also we know that this means that it may give them if they do really well all the way through the Oscars, it could give them a blank check um, for their next project and the next project. So, yeah, I I'm feeling really excited. We already have seen them getting cast like Michelle Yeoh getting cast and everything. And um, same with Kei Kwan. So, yeah, uh, hopefully the Daniels do, too. Yeah, and the Daniels have been picking up projects here and there, too. Like they're working on that um, TV series. I think they have a couple children's books coming out soon which is interesting yes daniel kwan he has some children's books i i I, i'm uh bookmarked it in my email (laughs) yeah well can't believe i'm saying this but i'm looking forward to this award season just to see them win more things i might actually have to like be excited for the oscars now Hmm. now that we actually have a team to root for weird yes (laughs) all right jess what's our next story all right, next story is Kelly Marie Tran of Ryan the Last Dragon and Last Jedi fame and director Carlos Lopez Estrada, also the co-director of Ryan the Last Dragon, launch uh, their own production company called Anti-Gravity Academy Banner. I guess it's just called Anti-Gravity. So they're going to develop and produce underrepresented stories and include an incubator for first and second time filmmakers. Um, And for those of you who don't know, I believe they are also partners dating in Mm. real life. That makes sense. Do I mean, okay, so this is a little this. I'm going to I'm going to pivot a little bit. Of course, we want Anti-Gravity Academy. Of course, we want production opportunities for first and second time filmmakers from historically excluded communities should you form a production company with your romantic partner do we want this <laughs> that's, a, that's the that's real a, story I that's think a loaded these are question two, yeah i think these are two separate <laughs> questions the question the first one yes, yes we want it of we course want we this. want it always great to have more production companies we're already seeing um lots of great production from randall park's production company and you know always good to have more people developing scripts should you start a business with your part romantic partner? I wish them the best is what I have to say. Um, I mean, yeah. they obviously feel confident enough. I hope they, you know, can separate their work life and their home life. 
um, one of the best things that I feel like I did was um, marry someone who does not work in entertainment or media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, you know, they met on Raya and the Last Dragon, which is an animated film that takes like five years. It takes a very, mm-hmm. very long time to make an animated movie. They're not the first, you know, director talent couple to come out of a project. It's very, very, it's almost cliche at this point. But I'm like, you gonna start a company with this man? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also the photo that the Hollywood Reporter used is they're wearing like a couple's costume. Well, not costume, like couple matching outfits. They're matching um, outfits. Yeah, they're and, a and matching outfits couple. Yeah. And, Do uh, we approve I, of that? Is that a is that is that like I think we're blinded because I I find Kelly Marie Tran incredibly cute. But like, if any of your friends just showed up in a matching outfit with their significant other, you'll be like, "That's gross! What the fuck are you doing?" I, I, As someone would with friends it. like that, um, yes. we don't say that out loud. To yeah, their but face. you're thinking <laughs> it. Well, part of me would want them to go the distance because they were wearing these outfits. Because they're also, we have to describe this on the podcast because you cannot see it. But they are. It, it is a very specific like hot pink animal print that they're wearing that's matching it's not just they're both wearing black and so this is a very specific choice um to be on a red carpet wearing this and so part of me actually like loves that (laughs) um that they're making such a statement i i also kind of feel weird about sort of weighing in because when we talk about like these romantic couples together doing business together that sort of fear we have is the assumption that they're going to break up. Oh, I believe everyone's going to break up. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I I, was, I feel like a little weird just sort of like prognosticating about yeah, that. Well, I mean, well what I happens to all these amazing projects that are still in development when your two yeah. founders break up? That's what I yeah. want to know. Yeah. So I do. I would just hope that they stay friends. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah, and, I don't know. They're like, I haven't, I've never spoken with either of them in person. Um, I don't know what the relationship is like. So I can't attest to the strength of this relationship. I do like, I do find solace in that. They, it seems like they're both, at least in the fight together, like they want to, they're championing, they're championing, you know, um, underserved. Um, they're championing you know, un, uh, un, um, underrepresented voices mm-hmm. um, and they at least have that going for them, which is a little bit more than like your your average like celebrity oh, couple. Right. No, That's only that's only for dumb people who are like, what do you mean you don't support like anti-racist work? Like what you didn't <laughs> talk about? I feel I never feel bad. Sorry, I'm just tangenting, but I never feel bad about people who are like, oh, no, I found out my boyfriend sucks. I was like, you didn't talk about this before. That's on you. <laughs> so, yes, uh, bare minimum. He, su- he also supports anti-racist work. Uh, I think the other thing is if if we are talking about coupledom, um, the fact that she is I think she's fairly grounded having gone through the ringer when it comes to. Uh, fame in Hollywood, but also just uh, she is a friend of a friend of mine. Um, apparently, I attended a party with her earlier on before she was cast in Star Wars, and I didn't realize it. Um, but yeah, so from the things I've heard, she seems pretty cool. So hopefully, she's level headed with like that with her business. We can only hope for the best. Um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. I did not realize they were a couple until I saw the photo. So, and if they weren't, I would have been like, why are they wearing the same thing? Yeah, I mean, 
again, would I do it? No, but <laughs> <laughs> at least they're complimentary type of yeah. things. Like I know journalists who are dating journalists and I was like, I would never do that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, and and each of you are not like dating or, or married or in a relationship with someone in the entertainment industry. Absolutely even, not. Even peripherally. And so I'm just thinking, well, do I need to look outside? Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. But that being uh, but yeah. said, like I, I support them. I, I just want Kelly Marie Trent to be happy. So if she's happy. Me too. I'm happy. I'm happy she's happy, but man, that's a move. <laughs> <laughs> also just glad that there, we have another, Asian American people color led production outfit. Yes. And, out there. and the amazing, the amazing projects that will come out of this. Yeah. All right. Our last story. Um, Deadline reports that we're getting a Silk series, which is the Asian American Spider Man um, that's going to be landing at MGM Plus and Amazon uh, with Angela Kong as showrunner, which will be a part of a suite of Marvel series from Sony Television. Um, do we want this? I feel like this is also a multi-part question, which is number one, do we want Silk? Number two, what is and do we want MGM Plus? I think we want Silk. Yes. I like Angela Kang. I'm glad they found a Korean-American woman to run this show. That's all promising. I have never watched anything on MGM Plus Amazon. So it would be interesting to see just how they handle the rollout the publicity they're doing a binge drop but you know it's just it's so weird like some of these big projects that you wait years about you hear about (laughs) for years like drops all in like one week and then it's not even the blip on the radar like a day after its release all right so mgm plus apparently is the new name of epics which i guess was sony's streaming service Mm -hmm. um mgm of course is Metro Goldman was a Meyer? Mayor. Mayor, which was a studio that was acquired by Sony back in like 2006, 2005. And I guess is now going to be much like HBO Plus is the flagship of Warner Brothers. MGM Plus is going to be the flagship of Sony Pictures Entertainment, which I don't know. Does that work for you? I mean, the, 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 I, like I hate everything being called Plus, but at the same time, I think the branding is stronger because no one knew what epics was like and they actually had some good projects there so that said i never subscribed to epics i only got like some free screeners from them so i'm hoping uh, the same thing happens with mgm plus i'm also feeling just like i'm over too much tv too many streaming services um i would like things to streamline soon (laughs) um i this that is not to say I don't want people to have the services they need because sometimes you need to create your own channels or streaming services to have representation. But MGM Plus is not one of those where we are like, you know, having underserved communities, <laughs> you know, have their own channel here. This is yeah. a, a giant, you know, corporation. So I'm I'm iffy about that. Like, I feel like after Peacock, I kind of was done. <laughs> Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, but that being said, that being said, Silk might get me to subscribe at least yeah. to that 30-day trial of MGM+. Plus. I, wasn't, um, I wasn't that familiar with Silk. I looked her up, uh, Cindy Moon, so I guess that makes her Korean-American. With- she's a Korean-American girl. Um, so the her backstory, I don't, I, I know this because I 
read too much Wikipedia. Um, so she has also a spider power, much like Peter Parker, because apparently she also attended that same field trip to that oh, lab and got oh, bitten the by the same bit spider. More people. <laughs> yeah, um, but hers, her like so, so. So I don't know how they're gonna. I mean, Spider-Man's all about multiverses anyway, so she'll probably come from a separate multiverse. Because Cindy Moon, mm. the character, did appear in the Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. She's like the mm. Asian girl in his class. Okay. Um, but so in the original, I guess, in her original comic, apparently she gets kidnapped and experimented on for like 20 years in like a no. basement. That's um, awkward. Let's emerging. not do that. Absolutely not. No, we're not <laughs> kidnapping Asian women for plot points. Yeah, and that's why he didn't know about her until like 20 years later when she comes out, when she escapes from the facility. Yeah, they'll have to um, figure out a different way to get like her out of the way. <laughs> not that, but um, yeah. still curious how they're going to handle it. Yeah, and she's part of the stable of like Asian American heroes that like came out mm-hmm. a couple years, like, uh, like I want to say like, 10 years ago um, through like when like Greg Pak was doing a lot of Marvel comics, now she was mm-hmm. contemporaries of what was um what was Amadeus Randall Park's Cho? character? Yeah, of Amadeus Cho, the Asian Hulk, and um, Randall Park's character. I forgot his name, oh, um, yeah. but he was like their shield handler, and so um, yeah, I mean Jimmy Woo, yeah Jimmy Woo exactly. He's just Randall Park in my mind. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, will this be? What will bring me out of my MCU uh, fatigue? I don't know. I look. Star Wars did it with Andor, so we'll That's see. True. I, and also, I have to say, um, She Hulk wasn't bad. So <laughs> I will. I am kind of tired of all of it, but as long as it's good, I'm willing to give it a try. So yeah, I will judge everything on its own merit by at least by the first or episode or two or whatever yeah (laughs) and it is a good sign that they got angela kang to be the showrunner because i think originally it was like a white dude lined up for this show so oh no 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 yeah step in the right direction wasn't great um but yeah um definitely looking forward to asian (laughs) spider-man all right and with that that'll do it for this edition of do we want this lots of cool stuff coming down the pipe 2023 is looking very exciting indeed Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? Still on Twitter at Just You Tweets. Same. I am fiddling while everything's burning, but I'm still tweeting, apparently, at, <laughs> Hano- at Hanonymous. <laughs> you can find me at Marvin Yue. Um, I still don't know where I'm landing yet. Um, I don't know. Apparently, Hive is a thing now. Did you want to Hive yet? I, I'm about to join it. <laughs> <laughs> You can find our show on Twitter right now on Good Pop Club. We are still a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Um, check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, um, we'll be back next week to um, what are we doing next week, guys? You want to do Andor? Andor. Yeah, yeah, I started. It's great. Yeah. It gets even better. Oh, <laughs> okay. Let's go, baby. I'm excited. We're finally going to do Andor. And man. I cannot wait because <laughs> I cannot wait. What if um, Star so, Wars had the audacity to be good? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see y'all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.
Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.